Radio Primavera Sound, powered by SEAT. Welcome to the Weekly Review, the radio show where two grown parents and a gifted young trend detective analyze things that appear in the pop cultural landscape to make sense of our existence. Our album of the week is St. Vincent's Funky, Daddy's Home, an album which could fall into a vibe that is known as cocaine cheek. Has the infamous life and soul destroying illegal drug become mainstream? If so, where can one buy some? <laughs> Just joking. How much can one be take? <laughs> How much can one take before becoming a twitchy psychopathic advertising executive who froths at the mouth? Oh yeah, we shall find out. Speaking of cocaine chic, Ben Cardew has spoken with the latest disciple to carry the torch for the kind of retro neon synth pop we revere bands like New Order for. She goes by the name of Lone Lady and she clearly loves the 80s. Probably not cocaine, I'm not saying that, legally. Um... So, and we're also going to be discussing how much can one be expected to tell a journalist without it getting published. Mm -hmm. So, let's begin with Saint Vincent. St. Vincent released her sixth album, Daddy's Home, last week, and due to its title, there's a lot of talk about her father's incarceration for swindling money surrounding the album. She addresses that in the first track, but the rest of the album is more indebted to his 70s record collection, which she grew up listening to. The album is co-produced with Jack Antonoff, with whom she repeats after the successful collaboration on Mass Education, which featured in many best-of lists, including New York Times' number one album of 2017. As she herself has described this record, it's the sound of being down and out downtown in New York 1973. Glamour that hasn't slept for three days. It has plenty of slow, slow funk jams that reveal her love of Prince, like the song we're listening to in the background, but also reminds listeners of singer-songwriters of, of that time like Harry Nilsson, Randy Newman, etc. Ben, what is your professional opinion on this album? It's cocaine psychedelia, isn't it? And uh, we should stress that St. Vincent doesn't take cocaine, but this is very much the sound, because it's very, very shimmering. It's like she's gone back to those kind of psychedelic records. But you know how like psychedelic records of the 60s can be very weird and almost amateurish in, in ways, you know, and almost kind of childlike? Well, this isn't that at all. This is like bursting with confidence and slick and glamour. And I've got to say, I really enjoyed it, but 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 I, could, I found it quite hard to connect with emotionally. Because like St. Vincent is one of these um, artists who seems to always be playing a role. I mean, literally, on, on, on particular you know, records, she plays a different role, and she's, she's dressed kind of very differently on, on the cover of this. And for that reason, I found it just a bit... I found it really easy to admire, but I couldn't quite get into it, you know? Like, it's, it's a fabulous-sounding record, but I, I don't know, like, in what mood I would go for it. It's kind of like something I'd just put on in the background, but, like, you know, if, if my dog ran away and I was feeling sad, I wouldn't put on St. Vincent. 
And that is surely the means by which everything must be judged. Will you put it on if your dog ran away? <laughs> what kind of music would you put in such a specific situation? Like, well, sad music. Yeah, you wouldn't put yeah, happy music okay, on. You yeah. would have gone like, you know, Daniel Hall. Not 70s and Bainton music. Well, I would have put on, if this was like 20 years ago, I'd have put on the Smiths if my dog ran away. But like, you know, since Morrissey and Morrissey's political views have rather differed from my own, I'm mm. sort of lacking music to put on if my dog <laughs> runs away. And you didn't find it in this album. so <laughs> <laughs> No, very much not. Um, actually, I, uh, the, there is a, a, a new album by Holly McVie that I would definitely put on if, if my dog ran away. Well, this is definitely a, an album to put on when you want to lounge around the house on leather sofas or looking at your tumblers full of whiskey and stuff. It's got that 70s vibe, right? At this point in her career, she hasn't got much left to prove, but I do feel that I get the feeling that she is so, she is so talented that whatever she does in a studio is going to be interesting and it's going to have a high level quality like this album does. But... I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or something, but I feel like it's a little bit phoned in. There was, for me, like a very telling line on the song The Melting of the Sun, which I liked a lot. Um, and it, just to quote the lyrics, she says, Me, I never cried. To tell the truth, I lied. You know, which actually a very, very good line. But it sort of made me think, like, are you... She, she's not crying. I, you, you can't imagine her sort of crying, going to the studio and crying, like crying heart out. And you can sort of imagine her lying, at least on a sort of artistic level, mm. which uh, I, I thought was quite telling. Well, maybe that's part of this character that she's mm -hmm. building for this album. You know, she's wearing a wig. She's, you know, she's concealing herself. It's, she's, she's being deceptive. So, and, and the fact that it's recalling, the title is a play on the whole thing, you know, the very public thing about her father being in prison for swindling money. You know, is, it, is she playing this character like in a kind of, in a David Russell movie, like in that American Hustle If you've have you seen that movie with Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence, and uh, it's full of these uh, con artists and uh, people who are deceiving each other, it's that kind of vibe. No, I think she might have tapped into that movie for for you know coming up with some of the visuals and some of the vibe on not only her character but the music here. So maybe that's that maybe it's part of the whole thing, like that that she's not telling the truth. Uh, that 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 not all of the lyrics are going to be um, mm, sincere, shall we say? But it's not. Yeah, as I say, it's not really exciting me that much. I've listened to it a couple of times, and it's yeah, it's good. It's and I like her always, you know, St. Vincent. But mm. it's a bit like David Bowie, right? He constructed a different uh, character on every album, mm. um, but you always entirely believed him. There was always loads of emotion in there, you know. Like even if he was singing a song as an alien who had come down to Earth. You would you would totally believe him. You'd utterly be with him there. You'd be like, oh yeah, I do feel. You know, I do feel. Yeah, I am missing my, like my friends back on this planet or whatever. You know, you'd really be into. It. Whereas Vincent, I don't don't quite get that. And another kind of interesting thing I think about her was, you know, she released her last album, uh, Mass Seduction, three times, basically. Um, if you recall, there was Mass Seduction, like the the normal album. Yes. Then she did... Remix one with Nina Kravitz, didn't she? Well, before that, um, she did the piano version, you know, the sort of acoustic version uh -huh. that she did, if you recall of that one. Um, and, uh, yeah, then there was like a Nina Kravitz remix version as well. It was... It was it's sort of weird, you know, it kind of like spoke to... I quite like that idea that there's like infinite possibilities, but at the same mm. time, it's a bit like an artist who's always, you know, fiddling, you know? It's like, no, this isn't right. You can do it this way, you, you can do it that way, you know? Like, never, never kind of happy, never kind of landing on something, which is good in a way, but maybe not good in another? 
I, I liked what you see what she was doing with mass seduction is she was playing with this kind of dark pop she was going a little bit more electronic than we're used to hearing from her she was playing with that kind of dominatrix uh, kind um, imagery and uh, I, th- I, th- I think there was a, it was it was very interesting to and entertaining to watch in, in in media shall we say but as I say the whole idea of basically it's like the sense I get it's when you put on your late the, the tracksuit to go and buy bread. You you know you're not going to make yourself up much, and you just put a wig or a hat on because you don't want to go go to the effort of bringing the best of you out. You know you want to look uh, just presentable enough. You know put on some big dark glasses, buy your milk, buy your bread, go back into the flat and lock yourself in. Um, I don't know. It's very it screams pandemic. <laughs> But it's like quite the opposite she was going for. She's like all this glamour from the 70s and she did all this research to see how the 70s felt like. And now you said it's like, no, it's like going to go get the bread to squeak and, and go. And I, I I don't think she was going for that. But yeah, I I cannot get, get what you both say. Like as much as I love her and I love everything she does. Maybe it does feel a little bit, I don't know. It's because even, even the graphic design, uh, the photo, you know, she's on the cover wearing a, a fur coat. I hope it's full. And the, the da- uh, daddy's home, the way it's put on there, it looks a little bit tacky. Uh, the, uh, from a graphic design point of view, I'm no graphic designer, but I've looked at enough album covers over my time. And uh, I don't know, it looks like a little bit of a rush job. It doesn't, you know, whereas the one, the, the, the cover of the album, which had the latex, mm-hmm. you know, her, her mouth or someone's mouth open with the latex, there was a whole concept with their mass seduction, the photo shoot, you know, she, she put a lot of effort into, obviously, the making of the songs, but as well as the packaging, shall we say. Here, it's like, yeah, whatever, just take a cool picture of me in this nice flat or in this sofa, put a wig on. It does, it, I don't know, it just seems a little bit lazy. Hang on, Ma, you love her, right? You just said yeah. that. So, give us a case for this album. Um, it's an Vincent, so that's, that's the case done. <laughs> Whatever she does, it, it's like she. There's few people. Well, ma- maybe not few in my case, but there's few people that can do whatever. And I'm like, you got the status for me to n- never say anything wrong about you because you can do no wrong because you got to that level. And for me, she she's that cool. I can never say she did something wrong. Yeah. So um, when when would you listen to it though? Happy, sad. Mm, with uh, a touch of ennui I don't know maybe when I think um, I'm, I need a bus like a boost of coolness or something I'm like uh, oh, okay I'm gonna listen to her singing because she she's cool <laughs> and I'm, I need to remind myself that I can be cool like her I, sh- I do really like it. It is very well made. There's a lot of very good things about it. I like all the sort of sitar pedals, and I like the mm. backing vocals in particular. Um, and she writes incredibly good melodies. So I do really like it. I don't want to come acro- across as, as too negative. And I think she's a very interesting person. I like someone who's, who's always changing. But it's just, yeah, that emotional, that emotional connection I keep on going on about. Like Down, right? Which is a really good song. And it's apparently she was talking about it as a revenge fantasy. But I was like, on, on who? Like, I don't get the impression that it's like, I, I couldn't work out who exactly it was about. Not actually wanting to know the name, but it's like, well, why do you want to have revenge on this person? What's going on? <laughs> you know, it was like a sort of, it was like a revenge fantasy sort of in theory rather than like, God, I'm so angry. I've got to like take revenge on this person. But this is better revenge if it's not like, I want to kill you. It's like, 
I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna put it on your face because I'm just gonna be like slow cooked revenge. Hang on, Arab strap would not do slow cook. Actually, no, they probably would do slow cook revenge. So I keep on taking it. Back to and and speaking of Jack Antonoff, obviously, as I said here, she repeats with him after working with him on Mass Seduction. And uh, there's a track here, track eight, down. It could have been on a Justin Timberlake album. For some reason, it reminds me of uh, his track "What Goes Around Comes Around" uh, from Future Sex Love Sounds. You can play it back to back, and it it has a very similar vibe. You know, a little bit, a little bit of a melody. It reminds me of. And it's it's interesting to see how St. Vincent comes from being, mm, call her indie or whatever mm-hmm. you want, to all of a sudden being, well, you know, someone who performs at the Grammys. She obviously became a bit of a celebrity since she was going out with Cara Delevingne and, you know, she'd appear in People magazine or whatever. In fact, she must be a little bit famous because uh, apparently when she'd go and visit her father in prison, uh, people would ask her for autographs uh, in the waiting room. So, you know, so she, she must be a... a she must enjoy um, an, uh, quite a level of being famous, shall we say. No, so so she's no longer this uh, hidden auteur. She's someone who is also in the public sphere. But stylistically, though, as I think, I thought she had a lot more edge previously. And here, it's like okay, she's going into this territory where there's funk and soul uh, done in that singer songwritery kind of way. Mm, I could listen to this album straight after listening to something by Erica Badu even you know mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting in that way you know whereas I've always got that image of her rocking out with her guitar supporting Sufjan Stevens uh, she's very interesting in this sense I just feel that she has so much potential and I'm I, I don't know why she's toned it down so much maybe it's the funk and what I'm going to say it might come across as shitty but I I need to express it I've always felt that funk is a bit lazy. Oh my no. God! What are you talking about? Okay, hear James, me out. Hang on, James Brown was the hardest working man in show business. Yes. He invented funk, right? But, but making funk songs, it seems to be very okay. Hang on, hang on. This, uh, <laughs> I'm going to clarify. I'm only hanging on because <laughs> I'm shocked. I know. <laughs> funk is usually made by very, very talented musicians, right? And all they need to do is get together, jam, and there's a, like there's it's there's patrons, right? There's like okay, give me the give me a drum roll, give it that, and then you're just like, bum, 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 and you can improvise for hours, and it, it's endless, right? It it seems quite easy to make funk once you are an incredibly talented musician, which it takes a long time to become, but. And it's like, uh, I don't know. They, uh, but that's why it's so difficult. Because, right, it's so easy to make average funk. That means it's really hard to make good funk. It's like punk. Mm-hmm. It's like punk music. It's really easy to like get a band together, like knock, knock together three chords and yeah. like, like make a kind of punk song. And that makes like making a really good punk song all the harder. Because yeah. you've got to like get that extra kind of thing. And I think it's the same with funk. It's like... Um, how many bad funk bands have you seen? How many like wedding bands have you seen? Exactly. That's like they're going to funk out a little bit, and it's like, well, technically it's funk. You know, they're playing James Brown or whatever. But like, why doesn't it quite work? And it's like that ineffable thing, which why I think funk is is the hardest thing. By the way, you're dressed like Elvis in Jailhouse Rock. I just noticed. <laughs> <laughs> See, Elvis never really approached the funk, did he? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That's why I've never really enjoyed uh, all the great funky albums. You know, it's like uh, this music just seems like it's a bunch of guys and girls just get together and just jam out, smoke some weed, and it's fine. That whole vibe and mood and stuff. But I've always liked the tight pop song that has been concentrated and 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 obsessed over until you get the right melody and this that the other. Whereas the funk is like it's a bit like reggae. You know, it's like yeah, just play the same old chick 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 and just create the but vibe. But that, exactly, that's what I mean. Like how many bad reggae bands have you heard? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. 
I, I, one thing I find quite interesting with this album is its relationship with pop, because you get, I think you get these days a lot of like indie artists making like what you might call a pop in in speech marks album. But it's always like pop from a few years ago. You know what I mean? It's not really like pop as in which it's actually going to be selling today. And I find that a very interesting, interesting line because you get this kind of like pop albums which sound like they, they you know, they, they should be pop. But is this really pop? Is this really going to go number one of the charts? Are the kids really going to listen to this? Probably well, that's not. the thing. Funk and neo soul has been trending for for a few years now. No, from your Mac Millers to your Frank Oceans to and and they're all hiring like all all the old musicians, the session players. Um, Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars is one of the biggest pop like mainstream pop artists uh, around today, and he just did, did that collaboration with Anderson Pack, which like also yeah. mm-hmm. it's the same time period they're referencing as Saint Vincent mm-hmm. on on this album. You know, it's like okay, that is now the official big trend. Uh, it's Grammys. Are Proved because you're harking back to the golden age when all those massive record labels make millions of mu- millions of dollars on funk and disco or stuff in between. So I feel that it is the sound of pop now. Like the bedroom pop sound is still there. You know, we were talking about Coldplay, how they have that kind of vapor wavy kind of production going on in their music and in their latest single. But on the other side, the Americans are like, look, what 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 have we always done very well? Funk and derivatives, right? Derivados. But right, I, I, you would not hear this on mainstream pop radio. Oh yeah, you? I think so. Some Vincent. It, does she want? Like, is it her main goal to be on on mainstream radio? I think no, no, she I is. I, no, I don't. I don't know. She is born. To, it's like pop, not pop. Is one. It's like. It's but like it's, I don't see the pop in this album. Like I see it being more main mainstream, maybe because yeah. she's famous, but not because there's much pop on the album. Uh, no, no but the okay this it's adult pop in the sense of it's an album that as i say you can put next to a d'angelo or uh, erica mm-hmm. badu or uh, i don't know give me another or, or bruno mars even you know it's not that she wants to be sat alongside those artists it's like she likes this sound she knows it it's it's reminiscent of her father obviously there's this whole okay let's not forget Daddy's home, right? It's it's an album that kind of celebrates her father getting out of jail. It's uh, it's an ode to the rec- his record collection, all the stuff that he must have been listening to it in, in when he was young. So it, it's a good concept to work on. It's for a musician as talented as her. It must be a lot of fun to get into a, a studio and, and and play with this kind of mood and these kind of sounds. Uh, and hell, you know, maybe her next album will go into dark techno, European mm-hmm. techno. You know, it's like okay, well, this is another milestone. I don't think she's going to commit to this sound forever. That's what the Nina Kravitz album was about. That's yeah. right. But you say it's a good concept, and I think it is, and it isn't because I think basically doing this concept has opened like whole, whole, whole cans of worms with basically the prison system in the US and what mm. her father was accused of, mm. um, which was uh, sort of manipulating share price, I think. Like and it seems to have got her into a very, very difficult place, which she is maybe not entirely happy with. Um, like we were talking about her relationship with um, journalism and the, this sort of infamous interview that she tried to, to kill because she wasn't happy with it. And I think, I think basically... The the concept probably seemed like a good one about about two years ago, and she probably sort of worked out like, yeah, I'm going to say this about, um, you know, about the prison system and and that kind of thing. But through no fault of her own, I think it makes her come across as slightly unsympathetic, and that's not her fault because she's not responsible for what her father did. But I don't think many people have a lot of sympathy for people who manipulate share prices. 
even though it must have been horrible having her father go to prison. Absolutely. Ten no, years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, like not denying that. But like in a way, given everything that's been happening in the world and given the kind of problems America's mm. been having with the police and with the prison, et cetera, et cetera, it makes her seem quite unsympathetic. And I think that she doesn't want to talk about about this as we've seen in interviews because it's a very very hard thing to talk about and I totally kind of um, respect her for this and I, I get the whole thing makes her seem like a little bit sort of well yeah unsympathetic as I as I say and I think that's very very difficult because the album is about her dad you know that daddy is, is in is in the title I, I have seen I mean she she talked openly about it with Zane Lowe on, on Beats on his show on Beats so it's not like she's Oh, okay. Let's let's. Uh, you're gonna ask the prickly question, and I'm gonna give you a stock ang- answer. She, you know, she she seems to have discussed it with nearly every person who's interviewed her. But there's this one interview that she wanted to have um, cancelled. Have you had that experience, Ben, where you've had an interviewee ask you not to print or uh, go I, ahead with? I've had people who have come back afterwards, um, and they've said, "Oh, that bit was off the record." Yeah, because I mean, like, it's a bit funny, gen- you know, journalistic kind of practice isn't it it's like you know you can be talking with someone and someone says oh this is off the record and they tell you something and you're not allowed to, to write it in and that's the the way it goes that's where everyone kind of works but like it's sort of like you almost have to say it at the time if you see what i mean if someone comes back afterwards it, like i would uh i would probably yeah no I, I i would agree to it but i'd kind of feel a bit a bit weird about it and mm-hmm. if somebody if somebody came back with a whole interview Basically, if I if I was working for a media and they came back and they said no, you can't you can't use that, and like then the media went along with it. I'd be like, okay, well, all right, you pay me pay me my fee in total, and I will shut up about it, you know, because yeah. that's kind of the way it is. And I would have a, I'd have a lot less respect for the artist, their PR, the media. I'd have a lot of respect for everyone, but I'd I'd just sort of go along with it as a way of of the world. But like, I I just think it's it's pretty sad, isn't it? That that kind of she felt the need to do this and that they went along with it Hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um because like as we've said you don't have to do interviews if you don't want to do interviews don't do them but i have a lot of respect for like someone like um bjork right like there was a time when uh she i think didn't want to speak about her relationship and the breakup with it with matthew barney i think basically you know you just if you say to people no actually i would prefer in the politest possible way not to talk about it if that's okay and people don't you know, whereas like coming back like really heavy-handed afterwards, but like, no, 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 th- this has got to end. Like it's 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 pretty bad, I think. I mean, yeah, as I say, just don't do it. Like if you know, mm. the world's not going to end if you don't if you don't do an interview. Yeah, or it, or just you know, just look, I, I, no comment, and that's it. No, and and mm. and find ways of of dodging that thing. Thing is, obviously, that sometimes people are emotional, and sometimes it can trigger some kind of uh, emotion and then it's like you don't feel comfortable uh, responding the rest of the interview and stuff I don't know it's a it's a prickly subject but Ma you said you had an opposite reaction at first That's, I'm interested <laughs> yeah because when I agree totally with what you just said it, it makes total sense and I, I 100% agree but when I read the article because there's an article about not being an article yeah, about yeah, it yeah. it just it made me have this like it just gave off that these journalists had this sense of entitlement that maybe it was not this but one once I was reading it I I could not I couldn't help but feel like he he or she she she, she was so entitled like I don't know exactly how the interview went because um, it's it's not online because 
Sun Bison um, decided... You, you can find it. It's, it's without... I, I've read it, yeah. I'm sorry for saying Sun Bison all the time. <laughs> I decided when I was 13 years old or whatever the age was, it was her name. And now I cannot, <laughs> I cannot change it. I like it. St. <laughs> <laughs> Vincent um, decided not to be online... Mm, regardless of what she did at the end, the journalist. But, and I've, I understand it's a bummer as a journalist, it's your job. Um, and I could empathize with her in, in that sense. But then you have um, parts in the article that, that you can read and she says, she seems particular, particularly annoyed to be asked about her father and his white-collar crimes, which she should be a little bit more game for since she's made a hallmark of, of this album's press cycle. And it's like... <laughs> what are you talking about? Like you cannot force people to to talk about their personal lives, even if they decided to make the, these ex their personal experiences and an artistic outlet and 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 making an album in this case about it. It doesn't mean they owe you more than they have already given you. Mm. It, it, it it it's common sense to me. Like if you you ask her a question and and you sh see that she's put off or she doesn't go along with the question, then you as a journalist have to get the sense of the idea. She for some reason this um, doesn't want to talk about it and and she doesn't owe you her trauma or whatever. Well, this is the thing that, uh, something we talked about before, like how much we expect of our stars and how much we think they, they owe us. And I think journalists on one hand expect a lot of, of, of artists, but like so do fans. Fans mm -hmm. really, really do expect to hear a lot. And I think a lot of the times that um, St. Vincent fans, a lot of them probably would want to know a, a, a lot exactly about the, this kind of thing. And I think it, it's very hard because fans, fans demand so much these days, you know? And how do you how do you balance that? I think that's why, like, I, I don't think this was such a good theme for her to come because she clearly isn't quite happy enough talking about it. Mm. The whole avalanche of, of, of shit, essentially. She's maybe, she, maybe all of a sudden she did a few interviews and it all was good, but then maybe her father called her up and it's like, Annie, please don't talk about this. Or I, I don't know, you know, maybe something happened between that interview and the previous ones where she's talked very openly about it. And she, as I say, the YouTube interview, you can see it on YouTube, the interview with Zane Lowe, she's so candid, she's she's smiling all the time and she's, you know, and she's almost like she's, as if she was on a psychologist chair, you know, she's like retelling, you know, the feelings of de having him come back home and he was actually working on her house outside while she was doing the interview. You know, she's, they, they've, they've, they seem to have gotten over that. So I don't know why, apparently she said that the, the, the questions were a bit hostile. Hmm. Uh, the way they were being put to her or, or something. Maybe it wasn't, it wasn't the content, it was the form. I don't know, maybe it's a Vincent. Vincent. I cannot Vicente. stop. <laughs> Vincent. Vinny, St. Vinny. Annie. Um, maybe she is really disrespectful to journalists in general. I don't know. I have never interviewed her. But this case specific to me is so obvious that um, she she just chose not to talk about it. And, and, and the journalist just comes across so entitled in the, the, yeah. the next um, article that I do believe her when she says the, the questions were hostile because she seems super hostile in the article. So I, I imagine her like pushing it so hard about talking about her father and she, for some reason, that didn't want to talk about it that day. And so be it. Just ask another question about the album or 
I don't know. Maybe I'm overprotective of her, or uh, no, I think it's fair <laughs> enough. I think it's fair enough. Um, but the it's not like she did a Tarantino, you know. Right? <laughs> Have you ever seen Tarantino canceling journalists when when they ask him about the violence or what? No, there's been a couple. <laughs> You're rolling your eyes. <laughs> but a Tarantino in general has the idea. But the thing is, the the whole time I was reading this article, I was like, this would have never happened to me. Like I was the, the entitled one because I was like, this would have never happened to me. I know too much about celebrities and which type of celebrities there are in the world because in my head there's types of celebrities oh. and and I I would know what they would answer or they would not so I I would have never had this issue to begin with Hang on hang on what so how many types of celebrities are we talking here uh, There's um five or six in your head and in my head and and I think you have done multiple interviews I'm a person that has never interviewed a real celebrity but I think this uh, these um, categories are, are like super accurate and and you're gonna tell me if I'm correct or not and and I I'm sorry you have to listen to my rant about the oh, no, no, I, I decided there are and to begin with we have the the, the, the one in which St. Vincent, St. Vincent <laughs> Annie Clark <laughs> would be in and and it would be also like the kind of maybe Mitski would be in it as well and FKA Twigs as well too like this you get the scent of this celebrity it's like the too good for this world. Don't push them because they're doing a favor to us yeah. with their music or form of art or whatever the thing is. And they don't owe us anything. So if you put too much, maybe they could just stop making us this favor kind of celebrity. So this, this is the type of celebrity persona who are unreal cool people whose talent feels like they dug out your heart and, and pour it on the table or you just went through a traumatic therapy session and uh, but at the same time you don't feel alone because they understand you uh -huh. but caution here the fact that they share their traumas through their music doesn't mean they owe you their personal life and here's where St. Vincent um, is because it's a big mistake because this is I, as I said, I repeat, out of this world, cool people, and they decide they are always in charge. So they decide that one day they want to go on a YouTube interview and overshare their personal life, and the next one remain quiet and, and say anything. And you have to be okay with it, uh -huh. and you just have to be grateful they decided to exist exist the same time as you do. And you just shut up, and and you understand that this is the kind of celebrity they are, and and it's no surprise that they don't want to talk up to you particularly about their father but maybe five minutes from then they will talk to someone else about their father so you just have to be okay i understand you're this kind of celebrity uh -huh. um thank you for existing no in plan oh you you didn't answer all my questions but that's you know that's, yeah, that's the special Vincent. thing you know oh, and okay. and it, 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 it yes i think this is like mitski as well like she she makes everyone feel like, oh, I'm not alone. Mitski understands me. But if you were to interview her, maybe she wouldn't want to talk about the trauma she talks in her songs. Or maybe she would. But you, it's not up to you. It's always up to her. A friend of mine called these kind of artists Las Criatura di Boschi. An Italian friend. <laughs> I, these I creatures of the forest. <laughs> this is a much better name for them. And on the, on the next spectrum of, of celebrities, we have the ones that kind of are on the same path but are not on the same path at all which is the my art is yours my music is yours and my life is also yours kind of celebrity which we would have here the Demi Lovatos that we spoke about in previous shows and and just like the 
previous um, group of artists, this share lots of personal information, share their um, traumas, share their personal life through their yard. However, in this case, they do also feel like they owe you their personal life. They all owe you explanations about what they have been going through, what they talk about in their mm. in their songs, in an attempt, I guess, to um, make the message reach deeper. Or I don't know. To mm. me, it's one of the most dangerous ways in which you can be a celebrity. And maybe it works? Question mark. I don't know if it if maybe the, your mental state is strong enough to be this kind of celebrity. But some choose this path, and I'm not gonna oppose to but it. Do you include those that are also oversharing, like like oh the birth of their new child, yeah. the new car that they bought, like everything, everything? Yeah, okay. that they feel like. They owe you explanations owe you. about their life. My so followers you... need to know that I bought a pair <laughs> exactly. of Balenciaga shoes today. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Okay. Then, on the contrary, like complete opposite, we have the nothing is yours, nothing mine will ever be yours, and don't even stir me for too long kind of celebrity, which we will have the, the Beyonces and Tom maybe Cruise. Frank Ocean kind of way, but I'm, I'm just putting female artists, so I'm not going to say Frank Ocean. <laughs> and well, he is kind... Well, no, he's not kind of... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but not, he doesn't, not the garden. He doesn't, not fall, the into, no, oh he doesn't fall into a cis, um, heteropatriarchal kind of no, figure, if you know what thankfully. I mean. Sorry. Um, well, on, this is the complete <laughs> opposite of, of the, the last one, the Demi Lovatos. Um, these artists don't want you to know anything about them. Most of the time, you don't even know if they're dead or, or alive. You mm. just as assume they are, but you don't have physical proof of their existence. Um, and in that case, they decide to share their personal life through their music, like Lemonade. Mm -hmm. We got lots of details there. Yeah. Um, they will make sure you don't get it twisted and start thinking they want you to know things about their life and about them and they will go out of their way to make that clear and that's why Beyonce put uh, didn't even allow us to listen to Lemonade for a few years and just had it on the streaming platform owned by her husband who only only three people listen to so <laughs> it's just to make the freaking point that she doesn't know she did, she doesn't even owe us her, her music which is crazy it's like you're a musician but I'm I'm God bless you I, I love you and on on a next spectrum of celebrities, we have the ones that maybe would choose another thing, but they're stuck in in this position. They're the ones that most of it is yours because you took it away from me. But can I please have a little something kind of celebrities in which we have Ariana Grande? Mm, I don't have any other examples, but you got the idea. It's big. Um, these kind of celebrities, most of their life is public, even yeah. though she got mar married this weekend and she didn't tell us. Mm. Um, and even her traumas, um, like failed engagements, passing of the loved ones, surviving a terrorist attack, are public because it's surviving Pete Davidson as your boyfriend. <laughs> True. <laughs> oh Jesus. True. Um, and and it's because it's out of their reach to to try to keep it in private. It seems impossible. So it's like okay, I I'm, I'm not gonna win this battle. So most of my life is public, but they keep a little something to themselves. In this case, the hair, um, to feel like they have control and intimacy over something. And for example, in the case of Ariana Grande, it's like a, a, a work uniform she gets to take off when she gets home, mm. which is like she gets this. She explained it perfectly on a, on a, an interview recently, or and she was on a podcast, I think. And she said, it's this moment you get to take the, your character out because it's like you see, um, you see a lot, and to be a person 
like she is um is a blessing but it's also kind of weird and i think that there are times where i'm really grateful for grateful for that degree of separation it does feel nice to have this grounding thought of that's not real and she was all the time talking about how when she takes out her ponytail she has this curly hair that not a lot of people get to see and and she feels like this is separation from public life and and real life how and, curly are we talking about i can't i've always seen her with straight hair the tight ponytail it's it's kind of pretty curly like and then she said it i feel like my um like when she was a toddler she had all these curls oh. so it's, it feels like it's that again it's not straight and, and and everything it's there's a few pictures uh, online but but she she look it feels like her private self mm-hmm. and as Flivak said hair is everything so in that case yes. it's it's good to have her as your intimacy form um almost second to last we have one which is one of my favorites which is everything is yours but I might be lying about it who knows you don't kind of celebrity in which we have Caesar um, <laughs> which is um, at first the we would say normal celebrity, you know about their life, she does interviews, it's not like Beyonce that doesn't allow to have interviews. You feel like you know them, but you took the bait because you don't. You think you know them, but you don't. This whole time they have been dropping small little white lies um, without no purpose whatsoever. And it's just part of a game to confuse you in which you think you know them, but you don't. Um, and Sisa is is the queen of this. She has lied multiple times about her age, her freckles, about not liking pie and cake. What? Why would she lie about that? What? <laughs> Wait for it. About being allergic to salad and fruits. About not having ever owned a TV before, and about graduating as a marine biologist in an Ivy League school. All of these have been proven to be lies. But what about it? What are we going to do? <laughs> it's just random pieces of information that are so harmless and so random. We can do nothing it's just to be like, are we going to be mad that she didn't graduate as a marine biologist? Who yeah. cares? Who cares if she has indeed owned a TV before? Uh, we can just be confused at best. And, and she's just winning. Because I'm confused. And who is the last type of celebrity and in your head? Last one, and probably also the best, maybe it was a ranking all this time, um, is that you don't even know what's going on kind of celebrity, which would be Poppy, which I don't know if you're Who's familiar with. No, no, no. You don't know Tell Poppy? Oh my God, no. Poppy is like a celebrity. It's like she's a singer. She's now went into punk, but it's a character that has been. It's a weird surrealism YouTube channel that, and she's like Poppy, Poppy, Poppy. Saying uh, you've thing. mentioned her before, oh. I think. Yes. Um, and 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 she's so weird. She's so mysterious. You then she talks in in this kind of scary thrillery way, and 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 she has this character that is based on mystery about you not knowing anything about her. And this is a kind of celebrities that you don't even know if they're real. They're just full on confusion. So the concept private life and public life doesn't even apply because it, are they even human is the question. I wish I had thought of more examples so I could have made this like a, a Zodiac um, kind of <laughs> thing like um, Charas does on, on her Instagram, the collaborator of Tardeo on about horoscopes. Uh-huh. Um, but 
I'm not knowledgeable enough on zodiac signs, so it could even become a board game. Like, <laughs> yeah. which celebrity does this fit into? Yeah, you know, like and, a, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah I, seven. You know, like Trivial Pursuit kind of. You know, you've got your alleyways, and mm-hmm. she did this, so that would make her. But, this, yeah, but with this album, she did that. Yeah, maybe I could make like a chart of these kind of celebrities. Mm, I'm starting to feel money in the horizon <laughs> that could be made and become rich, so we can spend on. Not cocaine. <laughs> I'm just trying to bring it back. Let's listen to a little bit of music because we're going to continue talking about the infamous drug that seems to be in trending in media. You know, this was me five years ago, and it's still me. As I confess, I'm a waistline watcher from way back. Well, that's enough for today. Now for a lively lift. Ice-cold Coca-Cola. There's no waistline worry with Coke, you know. Actually, this individual size bottle has no more calories than half a grapefruit. Mmm, another thing, the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Coke's a natural wholesome blending of pure food flavors. I guess that's why everyone likes the refreshing new feeling you get, only from not-too-sweet Coca-Cola. And no wonder. Lively, lifty Coca-Cola provides a welcome bit of quick energy between meals. Thanks for a pleasant pause in a busy day. Oh, and remember, Coke is low in calories, too. Say, now, don't you get any thinner. Hey, Jim. Jim, just a minute, y'all. I want you to spell for me New York, man. Why do you want to spell New York, man? I just want to spell for me... The great Dillinger with his famous hit, <laughs> Cocaine Rattling, no, uh, Cocaine in My Brain. Before that, we could hear a snippet of, no, an, an actual TV advertisement for Coca-Cola, which famously used to... Uh, contain cocaine in its ingredients until 1929 so and it's amazing to think that the most po- one of the most popular drinks in the world still maintains the name mm-hmm. coca from the coca leaf cola from the uh, from the cola from a type of um, uh, fruit that had uh, caffeine in it uh, the cola nut sorry and uh, the abbreviation for coca-cola is coke still and no one has a problem with it it's like can you be more mainstream than that? Have they blanched the image of this infamous drug? So, uh, the reason we bring this is because, obviously, mm, St. Vincent's album harks back to a time when the drug was at its highest, when it's reached its zenith in, in popular culture in America, coinciding with the music, especially disco. So, as far as, uh, as for the trend observation, it's funny how the 70s just never go away. One thing that's been trending for a while that's been associated with all this is this trend called cocaine chic. Spanish journalist Begoña Gómez Urzaiz, who guests on Andrea Gómez's show Tardeo once a month, wrote an article on cocaine chic for fashion supplement S. Moda, picking up on an article from GQ US written by Jason Diamond. How cool is it to be called Diamond? Um, so apparently, cocaine chic is everywhere. The fashion, the music videos, the most popular shows on Netflix. St. Vincent's look for this album Totally cocaine chic. No, she looks like she's gleefully stumbled outside of, out of Studio 54 and is on her way to a penthouse in the Upper West Side to stay awake with the blinds down with random strangers. Urzaith writes in her article that lockdown 
has forced people to desire hedonism and fantasy to counterbalance the moralization that has become so common on social media and the stoic austerity we've been, all been forced into. Harsh times tend to lead to change. But it's been common to hear that after this pandemic, we're going to face a collective euphoria similar to the roaring 20s that came after World War I. Not to be a killjoy, the Great Depression followed the Roaring Twenties and that lasted a decade. And I think that's, I hope we don't skip the Roaring Twenties, you know, because it looks like it. Uh, but I digress. Younger generations are falling in love with the cocaine chic aesthetic. Not the actual drug, but the aesthetic. Um, Spanish megastar, Zetangana. He's been wearing the kind of shirts worn by Pacho Herrera, the infamous drug lord from the Cali cartel, played so brilliantly by Alberto Aman in the Netflix hit, season, hit show Narcos. Um, now, on Netflix, you can see the biopic miniseries uh, Halston, the, uh, about the American fashion designer who became a powerhouse titan. It stars Ewan McGregor, who is great in the role. And the show is a cocaine chic fantasy mood board. Most of the scenes take place in lavish spaces within New York City, his apartments, his atelier, these big windows overlooking the city, these lovely sofas. Even when he goes to Paris, all the scenes are within the palace grounds of Versailles, you know, and it covers his, the fun he had at Studio 54, all that decadence. And apparently, there's even a Twitter account called Cocaine Decor, focusing on some architecture interiors from movies and magazines that scream a bad habit, plenty of cash, and dubious decision-making when it comes to getting a bathroom done. If you'd like your living room to resemble that of a producer of raunchy adult entertainment, get the mirrored tabletop, the green marble Roman columns by the door, a porcelain life-size jaguar sitting by the entrance, the amber-colored velvet curtains, install a jacuzzi in the lounge, drink only champagne for breakfast like a record executive at Columbia, maybe some milk like Bowie during his thin white duke phase, and... Wear a blonde wig with a chinchilla coke. To coat. <laughs> Not coke. The faker the better. Make sure you have a white suit in the closet and wear with no shirt underneath, only a gold chain. Carry a golden cigarette lighter gun in the glove compartment. Oh yes, smoke cigarettes. Have one of those silver tissue boxes that conceal 200 cigarettes for your guests. Cocaine tends to make people smoke fast and constantly. Minibar! Have a well-stocked minibar with engraved tumblers, a silver tray, mini silver ice bucket, and plenty of vodka. Have you noticed all this trend uh, popping up on your Instagram? Yes, not specifically like the decor, <laughs> but I do feel like this collective mindset of I can wait the pandemic to be over to do unhealthy amount of drugs that I have never done before because I feel like I was missing out. They, they took out my chance to do drugs. So now I have I have to do coke. It's, it's my time. So I, I am a thousand percent on the train wagon of glorifying drugs and I have I have always been because I have been raised by by Western culture and that's what we do. We glorify drugs. But it feels even more now. It feels like how am I 24 and have not developed a drug addiction? Like, please, I am so behind on the trend. Like, I, I have to party like Kate Moss in the 2000s and I have to, um, like, fall off a balcony almost whilst some singer tries to take me back into the balcony. Like, all these images that I have on my head engraved from when I was little, which was like, oh my God, uh, the top models are are doing coke. Surprise. And, and now I'm like... 
yeah, it's bad, but I want to do it because we're all going to die. The pandemic told me I was almost about to die and I hadn't tried drugs. So it's my time. It's like a YOLO thing, no? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I need someone to to just engrave me on my head that it, I shouldn't do it. But I'm, I'm sorry, mom, I'm going to do coke. <laughs> <laughs> Please, uh, Instagram told you to. Yeah. Parents of Marvai Bedu, we are in no way. Ben or I are in no way responsible. No, no, for no, no, no. We say don't, don't like, like, don't like, do it. Dun, 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 dun. Um, however, however nice Instagram looks, no, no. It does look so just, nice. Just though. have a lovely, lovely house without the cocaine. Just you know, just go, go. But for tell that. me, I'm wrong. It looks so nice. Um, in every TV show, you. It's so much fun. I remember what, when... What, in Euphoria? It doesn't exactly look very good. Once they do drugs, they start crying glitter. And I'm like, I want to cry glitter. I I'm, I want to be this, having this much fun. And I remember one of the funniest episodes of Girls, like the TV show by Lina Dunham. Um, they yeah. they did um, coke and they had so much fun. They went partying and on somewhere in New York. And I was like, I want to do that. So this is what I wanted to get at. That when I grew up, whenever drugs were portrayed in movies or series, there'd always be the harsh come down. There'd always be the scene or 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 something that was either it was either death or prison or just something very bad would happen to the characters in the story who indulged in drugs. Right? That that it was it was kind of it wasn't glorified. It always had a bad ending. But now. There seems to be a trend where in, 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 in R-rated comedies, for instance, where, as you say, or in girls, they take cocaine, they have a wonderful time, and m maybe things happen to them, but it but they don't get um, condemned in the script for doing it, right? I found this very interesting. Um, it, 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 it already happened with marijuana, right? Uh, I remember... When Miley Cyrus hosted the MTV VMAs, she had a couple of sketches, uh, comedy sketches during the show. And there was one where she's smoking weed in her room. It's implied, right? With, with her rapper friends. And MTV was always very famously anti-drugs, right? It was their policy. They would not glorify it in any way. They were very careful of, with this. And all of a sudden, here they are having their teenage icon um, kind of um, uh, endorsing it, right? And it, and then all of a sudden you see that marijuana is now uh, legal in many states. It's uh, totally approved. Uh, it, it's They're changing the mindset of the nation. It's like, okay, marijuana mm -hmm. is actually good for medical reasons, for cancer patients, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. So I thought, hang on. So if they did that with marijuana and mainstream, how come, like, are they trying to tell us that in a few years' time they're going to be kind of saying, you know, it's okay to do a bit of coke, you know, whatever, for medical reasons or whatever. You know, it's like, I don't see any medical sort of benefits from it. You know, I don't think there's been... I don't think they will choose the path of, of medical stuff, but it's like, oh, yeah, a little bit of alcohol, a little bit, uh, just a line of coke, yeah, the usual. Because there's already this mindset of... Becoming an adult is discover discovering everyone does code and that cheese is very expensive. And it's like, maybe it is this, this becoming an adult. I, I already know um, cheese is very expensive, so I just need the, the coke part <laughs> to, to be a full-on adult. Yeah. So it, it, it is kind of normalized already more than before. Well, you, you know, if you sort of start to get a bit paranoid with the conspiracies, you think, hang on, in the United States, it is reported that Americans spent something like 
$480 million on cocaine during the decade or something. And I think that's cutting it short. I bet it was much more. Uh, so you think, well, maybe a way of beating the impending recession will be mm-hmm. legalizing drugs in a way. Cause, but first of all, they need to do a campaign like they've done with marijuana of normalizing it and making sure that um, more people are pro it than against it and stuff. And then it's like, well, you know, well, cocaine, it grows really fast. It's easy to harvest, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, damn it, let's make it on American soil. I don't know. And make it mainstream because imagine in taxes how much money they would make if they could justify people eating a bit of it it's just, it just sounds crazy I'm, I'm letting no, my I'm totally buying it I'm like yes this is what is happening it has been the plan all along oh my god I mean <laughs> damn it they prohibited alcohol in the in the 20s you know for a while until they realized that damn it they were losing money and people were going crazy with not being able to have a little drink <laughs> look how crazy we've been for not being able to walk the streets after 11 at night imagine if they took um, a booze away but you know we're gonna have to end there because we have got coming up our guide to the music of Hungary in a with Primavera Pro. I'm sorry to stop you. You you seem to be on the verge of legalizing cocaine, which was something. <laughs> maybe it's good I stopped you. I don't know. I, I actually just had a call from your parents, Ma, and they're like, God, will you, will you please, please stop there? So, so yeah. Sorry, sorry to, to interrupt you, but we're, we're going to have to we'll have to say goodbye and listen to some talent from Hungary. Absolutely. We'll see you next week. Welcome to our special programmettes in which we at Radio Primavera Sound put the focus on the best new music from one particular country each time in collaboration with our friends at Primavera Pro. It's a hole you've been falling through, you know you're feeling. We start today with Hungary, a land of hearty food, a gorgeous capital city and chess played in hot spas. I have two beautiful musical memories that are related to Hungary. The first is going to the Siget Festival, which is held on the island on the Danube and having a wonderfully surreal musical party for a whole week. And the second is listening to the music of Hungarian deep house producer Gnork as the sun went down on a Barcelona summer's day. Uh, and now I'm going to add a third, and that is finding out about Babé Sila, a Budapest-born singer-songwriter and musician who's currently based in southeast London. She's been called the Hungarian queen of R&B and her music borrows from Erika Badu, Alicia Keys, Sade and even Aretha Franklin, sporting that kind of silky smooth, slightly woozy touch that screams the onset of summer. Sila has appealed, appeared in Paper Magazine and Le Future Wave, picking up praise for her track Hole, a beacon of positivity she wrote in the middle of a panic attack. That song and Flamingo's My Personal Favourite both appear on 2020's Plum EP, which is where I would recommend starting out. For the arms that hold me, for the lips that kiss me goodnight, for the only eyes that see through my From woozy R&B, we make a left turn into art punk, courtesy of Gustav Tiger, a band who formed in Budapest in 2013, with their debut EP Mitani Mares, released the same year. 
like punk music, but I really love it when it gets weird, experimental and arty with just a soupçon of pop, like we're hearing now on Senka Se Tenga, a song which is taken from Gustavs Tiger's 2016 album Chaste and Mystic Tributary. They remind me a little bit of Ice Age, a band I know you love, Johan. I do indeed. Long time no see, baby Remember how we used to love And this track, The Mystic and the Star from the band's latest album, Gustav Tiger 2, plays right into my love of the Rolling Stones and Primal Screen. Gustav Tiger have already made waves outside of Hungary. Revered London record shop Rough Trade called them proof that great music can come from anywhere, including their track Sister Sybarite on the 2015 counterculture compilation where it sat alongside Courtney Bartnett. And Clash magazine compared Gustav Tiger to Dead Kennedys and Sonic Youth, which is praise indeed. Our final act is Mordai, a group that draws on the influence of Hungary's experimental folk movements of the 60s and 70s. I have to confess I know very little about Hungarian experimental folk, but perhaps the best compliment I can play, pay Mordai is that they make me want to find out more about those magical times. Latod Rosam, uh, apologies for the pronunciation, which we're listening to now, is a highlight of the band's self-titled debut album, introducing folk melodies to Black Sabbath guitar riffing and swaggering brass. You're listening to Azd, another song from Mordai's debut album, and it sounds like the perfect song for hanging out with friends, slightly sloppy with drink, but immaculately dressed on a warm Saturday night. Obviously, I would love to hear them live, but in the absence of that, this album is the perfect example of Mordai's folky swagger. Yes. 